coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Ooh, y'all, it has been a day. A day. So, first things first, I'm going to announce that we do have our first ever presidential candidate who will appear on the show tomorrow. In fact, in person, which sent me to the Guitar Center to buying stuff that I'll probably never use again. But I'm going to use it tomorrow because Democratic presidential candidate. No, not that one, y'all. I wish. I'd be getting like Secret Service swept right now, right? No, uh, Democratic presidential candidate Marianne Williamson is in town uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, doing an appearance at Emory University, Georgia State University, and The Ron Show. How about that? My first presidential candidate on the show and podcast. I'm pretty excited about that. So looking forward to that. If you would like to ask questions or if you'd like to submit some questions for me to ask, uh, don't hesitate. You can call or text 404-919-2725. Ron at ronshowatl.com if you'd like to email them or at ronshowatl.com. On Twitter, if you'd like to DM them, or you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna share the the little social graphic that'll announce that uh, at Ron Show ATL on Twitter as well, so you can respond to that if you'd like. The other big news, presidentially speaking, is that the president wants to be president longer than one term. Okay, uh, let's take a listen to his announcement that he's running for re-election, which he dropped really early this morning. But you know, old people get. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Let's take a listen. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red revolution. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy. Dictating what health care decisions women can make. Banning books and telling people who they can love. All while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty, respect, and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing us. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment.
So if you're with me, go to JoeBiden.com and sign up. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. Okay. So I'm not going to lie. I have pretty much from the outset of his presidency hoped that Joe Biden was going to be a one-term balls-to-the-wall Leave nothing unsettled, not concerned about running for re-election type of president. And I think a lot of that had to do with his age. Not because I wasn't excited that he won. I mean, listen, anybody who wasn't excited that he defeated Donald Trump needs to get their head examined. But I will say that going into the 2024 cycle, where I, I'm a numbers guy. You know me, I'm a poll guy. I like polling. Uh, I glean a lot from polling. 70% of the country does not want Joe Biden to run for re-election, including 51% of Democrats. And most of both of those cite age as the number one factor. Now, there's a lot on the line. And it's interesting that his announcement focused on personal freedoms when it's during his first presidency that a lot of personal freedoms have suffered, particularly for women when it comes to reproductive choice and transgender individuals. And there's been eh, scant movement when we look at police reform. We did get a major gun reform bill passed, but that really was more of a Band-Aid, some aspirin for a massive head wound. Sorry, that's a little too close, isn't it? Nonetheless, his re-election pitch is aiming at personal freedoms. And the sad truth is, I don't even know if it's sad, but the truth is re-electing Joe Biden alone will not give Americans back the personal freedoms that they've lost in the last four, six, eight years because no one man, no one woman, no one person can bring back those personal freedoms. Consider that it took four decades for conservatives to eradicate Roe v. Wade. Now, I'm not saying, be patient, it's going to take four decades to get it back. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is, re-electing Joe Biden is not going to bring back those personal freedoms. At least not just doing that. Joe Biden has to make the strong case that he is the standard bearer for the party. He and his vice presidential pick, who, by the way, is featured prominently in the pitch video, so she's on board for round two, Kamala Harris. They have to make such a salient sales pitch, not just for themselves, but for the Democratic Party and its platform and its ideology that their being on the ticket will bring voters to the polls in such strong numbers that the slight, slim majority of this country that is center or left of center, or very left of center, shows up in such a large enough numbers to overcome gerrymandering, 
The drawing of state lines that gives conservatives an advantage almost innately from day one because huge swaths of land and agricultural domain has more rights and representation in the U.S. Senate than actual teeming hordes of people in densely populated parts of states. They have to also run a campaign that's mindful of the Electoral College that also, because of state lines and because of what I call a capped house, we've been stuck in the House of Representatives at 435 for nearly 100 years for no reason. There's nothing constitutionally that sets that number or caps that number. The population of the country has, I believe, nearly, if not more than tripled since the last time we added numbers to the House of Representatives. And because of that, and because of that Senate imbalance that we deal with, we have an electoral college that also gives conservatives an advantage, even when they don't win the popular vote. These are where my concerns come in for a second run of the Biden-Harris presidency. Not because I'm not pleased with the work they've done in the first term. I actually think if we focused on the accomplishments, the first term has been a success. I mean, it's hard it's hard not to argue that the first term has been a success. Look at the economy. Look at the economy that was inherited. Look at the situation that this administration inherited and righted the ship. We've been hearing about a recession almost from the day the man was sworn, probably before then. That has yet to come to be. Inflation has been shrinking. Supply chain woes have been minimized. Consumers are still spending money. The housing market hasn't collapsed because of rate hikes. In fact, it's actually a little... Listen, I'm a real estate agent. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's better to have higher interest rates right now than it was a year and a half, two years ago. No, of course not. But unfortunately, those super historically uber ridiculously low interest rates also put a lot of investment buyers into the market and shut out families from buying homes. The right will make hay about inflation. But again, inflation wasn't caused by the Biden presidency, but it has shrunk during the Biden presidency. The right will point to the Afghanistan exit, but the Afghanistan treaty to exit wasn't signed or negotiated by Joe Biden or the Biden presidency, it set a pretty tough-to-accomplish set of parameters that had to be actually renegotiated, and nobody on the Biden-Harris staff was there negotiating with the Taliban when Trump was in office, nor did they sign off on releasing 5,000 Taliban troops that immediately went right back (laughs) into being terrorists. Nobody on the Biden-Harris team was at the table shutting out the Afghanistani government while the Trump administration was negotiating with the Taliban. Yeah, the the Afghanistan exit was a mess, but it was going to be a mess, essentially, from the parameters inherited. They'll point to the fentanyl crisis and tie that to the southern border, when the fact is, The overwhelming majority of fentanyl that's coming into this country is coming into this country because of American citizens bringing it back. And you know what? Let's let's give the right their due. 
our border crisis is a crisis. It's something that the Biden-Harris administration needs to address. But they also need a complicit party on the right willing to actually advance something tangible. Something other than a stupid-ass wall. Actual immigration policy that reflects realities. They can make a salient sales pitch for a second term. But they also have to confess that they've got to overcome an image problem. Tomorrow, our guest is Marianne Williamson. She also is running for the Democratic nomination, and I'm sure we'll discuss a lot of this and more. Looking forward to talking to her. I want to hear how she expects her campaign to navigate this situation, how she expects the party itself to handle her challenging a sitting president. It's a fascinating situation, is it not? Marianne Williamson joins us tomorrow on The Ron Show. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. Excited that tomorrow we have an actual presidential candidate on this show. And not just like over the phone or on a Zoom call. No, Marianne Williamson is coming to my house. And y'all don't understand how freaked out I am about this. Uh, First of all, we're not going to do this in my home studio. Because uh, for those of you who don't know this, my home studio is like the second bedroom in my condo. And in the corner of the second bedroom, and it's not really a bedroom, it's just a home office. But in the corner of this room is the cat litter box. Yeah, y'all. What I do for you to do this show is I sit in a room, and I mean, it's a not a tiny room, but it's a room with a litter box in it. Am I? Listen, we're immaculate. I keep that thing pristine. I landscape it. It's not messy or anything like that. And if it ever gets to where I have to stop what I'm doing to clean it out because one of them comes in and doesn't care that I'm in here, then I will. Nonetheless, you've all been brought behind the scenes a little bit on the Ron Show. No, Marianne Williamson will be joining me. We are going to do that interview somewhere else on the property, but nonetheless, I'm very excited about that. So much so that I went and spent a lot of money on uh, stuff at Guitar Center that I'll probably never use again, but I have it for tomorrow, so it'll all be professional. In the meanwhile, joining me today is Heidi Miracle. And I love your name, Heidi, first of all. thank you. Thanks for joining the show. Heidi is one of the folks who... I think showed a lot of bravery last week. She showed up at the Cherokee County School Board meeting to ask why Rob Recksteiner is still on the school board. Remember all this time I've been talking since the start of April that Rob Recksteiner, a.k.a. Rick Steiner, former wrestler, is uh, someone that is on the Cherokee County School Board and likely ought not to be because of some anti-trans, anti-gay statements he had been accused of making, has yet to address publicly, has yet to uh, deny saying publicly or denounce, but apparently said because the folks who hosted the event he said them at kicked him out of the venue. Heidi, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. Tell us why this is such a personal story to you. Sure. So um, this isn't my first time in front of the school board related to LGBTQ issues. Um, this It's been a while, but I'm back again. Um, I have a trans daughter. Uh, she came out at River Ridge High School in Cherokee uh, several years back, and she was the first uh, trans woman to publicly come out in high school. So we had a lot of issues um, then. But I'm taking this very personally because I I know lots of kids in the LGBTQ community at the high school and throughout Cherokee County. And there is no way that they feel safe knowing a member of their school board called a trans woman filth. And uh, I forget the other language, but it was very transphobic and very hateful. And I know it's not been, I guess, proven, but it's been uh, corroborated by several people. 
And it was bad enough, like you said, he got thrown out of the event. And the board has said nothing. The superintendent has said nothing. He has said nothing. If he's going to say he didn't do it, he needs to apologize to the LGBT community, parents and kids. If he did do it, he needs to apologize and, you know, say he'll change his behavior and he needs some training to understand why that's so harmful. Trans kids are, they are so susceptible to um, self-harm mm -hmm. already in our society. Mm -hmm. And you add in another person who's, you know, on the, your board of your of your county for your school right basically not understanding or actually it's more than that it's not just that he doesn't understand um gender identity and trans identity he hit from his language it, it, he disapproves mm -hmm. he called the woman the man he he's telling our kids he doesn't believe their gender identity and that's the worst thing you can say to a trans kid so something has to happen and I, I am so frustrated there's been no response yeah, at, at I, all. I'm right there with you and, and have been for weeks now. And, and I think what I'm frustrated on many levels. I'm frustrated that uh, local media has let this story basically dissipate. Uh, right. aside, aside from, and I'll give credit to Shannon Ballou at the Cherokee Tribune News Ledger, I think that's what it's called, uh, who covered the story. Uh, she, she did report on it. But outside of that, uh, it, it made, uh, I think it made 11 Alive News. I know it made WSB TV. It was mm -hmm. in the AJC. But from then on, it's been nothing. Not a th and Correct. I get I get that like when it all happened, the school board or the, the school district was on spring break. Nobody's going to answer a phone if they're not there. I get that. But uh, um, upon return, why were there no questions asked? Why were there no statements made? And, right. uh, and I, I'm kind of with you. He's not only not denying it, he's just not saying anything. I get the sense that they're just kind of running the clock out because the end of the school year is coming and summer vacation will give them cover. Exactly. And so I, there were some people who received an email that basically said that his service on the board has been exemplary. Mm. Like everything related to, you know, his schoolwork has been fine, but that doesn't matter. That's not what's in question. Uh, in the ethics code, it specifically states something along the lines of, you know, behavior outside of school mm. uh, can, can break moral code and there are consequences. They can find him. They can have a sort of an investigation. Um, they're doing nothing. And then another person I know emailed her board member and got their response that basically said, well, there's no proof. And if a kid's bullied in school, I don't know what kind of proof you have to have, but I would think someone corroborating it would be good enough. And we've got corroborators. So he's a bully and we've got proof and it just, it's blowing my mind. It just, but I will say this and I, not to, I, I love Cherokee County schools, but I will tell you every time I've been in front of that board, and it's the same for any topic, and I've watched other people through the years. You stand up, you say your piece, you sit down. It's just a forum so you can be heard, but nothing happens. I don't know anyone that's gotten a change out of standing in front of the board. So, And the, I think everybody does it thinking there'll be a change, uh -huh. but I didn't go there for that. I knew it probably wouldn't. I went there so that trans and LGBTQ kids could maybe hear it and maybe get wind of it and know that there's people in the community who are angry and who care about them. Which again, disappoints me because the only media coverage that even the school board meeting got mm -hmm. was the one story I saw in the Cherokee, 
Key Tribune Ledger online. And I don't even know if it made the print version, but I know it made it online. There's been no follow-up from local. Yeah, there's been no yeah. no follow-up from local media whatsoever. It, it's like outside of this show and outside of that one article, do those kids mm-hmm. have any idea that anyone went to that school board meeting and stood up for them? I I doubt it. They wait. They put public participation at the end of the school board meetings for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people are there to see their kids get some awards, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. But then they take a break and they leave. There was probably 15 people in the room. Mm-hmm. When uh, I and the other speakers spoke, um, and that's it. And, you know, I know people who were watching online um, who were very interested in hearing the speakers, but I I don't know if it trickles down to the kids who need to hear it. And, of course, that YouTube video is not on their YouTube channel. It was a live feed and has since been removed. We're on with Heidi Miracle, who is a Cherokee County parent. We'll talk more with her after the break on The Ron Show. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. We're on with Heidi Miracle, who is a parent in Cherokee County of a trans student. Uh, well, a trans child who was a, a student in the Cherokee County School District. Am I saying that right? Since yes, graduated, correct. okay, good deal. Yes, and and I have another child who's also part of the LGBT community at the school now. So bless you, yep. bless you. Uh, we were talking off the air, uh, waiting on uh, this segment to come, and you know, I, I told Heidi it's just heartwarming to see folks speaking up for the LGBTQ plus. I grew up in a county not unlike Cherokee County, outside of Augusta, Georgia, where it wouldn't have been inconceivable for a school board member to say something as ignorant as Rob Brecksteiner uh, allegedly mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. The fact that yeah. the fact that he said it is one thing or allegedly said it, the fact that he won't even denounce it to me is kind of stunning in and of itself. That he won't apologize is one thing that he won't mm-hmm. even denounce it is to me just sort of the insulting part. Does, doesn't that strike you that way? Yes. It's, I mean, it's basically, it seems like he's affirming that he meant what he said. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I know it's alleged, but like assuming he said it because he's not denying it, it's like he's standing behind it, and then it feels like the board's doing the same. Yeah, deny it if he didn't say it. That's my thing. Right. All along, that's what I've said all along. Deny it if he didn't say it. Right, and I think they're not denying. They basically, like I said before, they're saying he's fine on the board, so we don't care what he's doing outside of it, which feels real familiar <laughs> for other uh, political arenas um, where you know the morals of a person are seeming to be not taken into account and <laughs> we right. can't do that. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. It has to have been yeah. uh, uh, you know, a, a tough go of it the last few months. So, because not only do you have this going on at the school level, but we, we saw over the weekend, we had anti-Semitic and anti-trans litter uh, mm-hmm. thrown on lawns in Metro Atlanta. You had yep. the state legislature and the governor affirmed by signing uh, a law that denied gender affirming care for yep. trans youth under the age of 18. Yep. We, we had a transgender ban in the military under President Trump. There's just been uh, this, this toxic environment for uh, trans people. It, it's constant and the fight is constant and it's, it's, they're being used as a, you know, political, um, I don't know the right words, token, right. Uh, just, you know, to get votes and give people something to focus on. And it's sad that they're choosing uh, such a um, fragile, vulnerable group of people. It's disgusting, really. So tell and, me what, 
led up to your participating in the school board meeting, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know to mm-hmm. expect one parent, five parent, no parent. Right. Well, t- tell me what led up to the school board meeting and how prepared you guys were and what sort of uh, organized effort there was for this. Sure. Um, so the I was very aware uh, from, you know, the social media and the news what had already happened um, with Mr. Steiner. So I was aware of it. I am part of a Facebook group of um, of women in Cherokee County and someone I think actually may have interviewed her as well from the Democratic Cherokee Democrats um, put out a call to action to ask if anyone wanted to speak. So um, that was the day before. So I wrote a speech kind of overnight and got in there and did it. Um, There were four parents who showed up. The other three, I didn't know. We didn't organize it. Mm -hmm. um, It came together. I was so glad there were others there, though. And it seemed to be, I don't think they were all parents of trans kids. I might have been the only one or Mm -hmm. they didn't say that. Mm -hmm. Um, They just said, you know, it's just it's 2023. This is unacceptable. And we can't have him on our school board. You got to do something. And for them, same as for me, they just say your three minutes is up and then you go sit down. Um, we, you mentioned a minute ago, if it's okay, can I talk about like what next steps could be? I would love to know what the next steps are. And in fact, I'm encouraged to hear that there are next steps because I don't <laughs> want this to go away. Well, it takes someone stepping up yeah. and, you know, I'm still thinking about it because I, like I said, I've done this before, and it takes a lot of effort and emotional yeah. energy and time. Um, but what I would suggest next, um, and having, like I said, been through this before around a bathroom fight around my daughter um, being you know, trans and using the women's restroom, um, I've worked with other um, social justice groups to get help. Mm-hmm. And I would you know, suggest going in directly to talk to the superintendent or whoever they'll let you and to speak with. Uh, it's a good idea to be um, cooperative. Um, I didn't get to the end of my speech, but I suggested like some trainings that would be helpful for Mr. Steiner and the whole board. Mm-hmm. I've done that before. I think that's a cooperative way to approach it. Um, I've also said, you know, I'll help in any way you, you want. We can, um, you know, anything. I'd like just offering help more than just blaming. Because yeah. if you go in just blaming and arguing, you're not going to inventing, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's the first step. Something along the lines of trying to find a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is that will go nowhere because that's happened in the past. And then that's where you start moving on to, like I mentioned, like you start contacting the ACLU or Georgia Equality or Lambda Legal and you start getting their help and advice and those organizations are there for that and they will help you. They may not necessarily like help you take it to court and, you know, on holes, but they will, they will help you. And County attorneys might um, superintendent Cherokee County school district attorneys can get involved and they help you through that process. And all you do is keep trying. Nothing may happen, but that's the route to go to, to keep the pressure on. And you, you hope it doesn't get contentious, but, you know, if they don't start doing something at some of those steps before, that's what's going to happen. We are on with Heidi Miracle, Cherokee County parent of a graduate, of someone who's graduated through the school yes. system who is trans, and you have another LGBTQ plus child who is currently in school there now. Did I get that right? You did. All you right. got it right. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have had uh, representation on this show before from Georgia Equality. And when this story broke, I emailed the executive director at Georgia Equality to share the story in, mm-hmm. in hopes Jeff of seeing, yeah, in hopes yep. of seeing mm-hmm. some action from, uh, from Georgia Equality on this, but I haven't heard any yet. And that's, that's kind of concerning for me. So maybe it just needs to come from someone other than 
just me? I don't know. Have you reached out to them or? <laughs> I have not, but I kind of have. I have a history of working with them, and I know Jeff Graham a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that should be my next step. Thank you for saying that because I didn't know you'd already reached out and they hadn't done anything. So mm-hmm. um, I will try that, and I'll see what happens. Yeah, they they uh, released a statement after the events of last weekend with the uh, anti-Semitic and anti-trans literature uh, arriving on lawns in Metro Atlanta last weekend. They did release a statement right. to that. So I, I just responded to that email and said, Mm-hmm. What, what about the Cherokee County school board situation? Uh, right. I think right. that's the second or third time that I've reached out to Georgia Quality. And I have Jeff's personal email, so I've I've emailed him about it as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know I don't know why this one is just not being focused on as well. I, I think it's a, a very important moment for organizations to step right. up and speak out. And in, in these right. communities where we're dealing with limited numbers of people. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's not important. Oh, it's absolutely important. Now, someone gave a statistic during the speeches during his speech, and I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but if you you know take the whole county Cherokee County school system overall, um, there's at least over um, 200 trans kids in the system. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, let me take that back. It might have been LGBTQ total, but yeah. I, that sounds too low to me. Um, so I I think he said yeah. 200 out of out of all the students and. I know at least 10 in River Ridge High School. Um, so, you know, it's not inconceivable. Um, and those are just because, you know, uh, just friends of my daughter or through particular groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, we got to do something and I'll keep trying. And this conversation, thank you for inviting me to speak. This conversation's get motivating me to, um, to do more than I've, you know, just stand up and speak. Cause I know that doesn't, do much in terms of change. So. Well, well, I, I disagree, but I think if if you stand up and speak and the word doesn't leave those four walls, then mm-hmm. it can be lost when, uh, again, as you mentioned, uh, you started mm-hmm. with a full chamber and by the time you got to speak, there were only 15 people left and how many of them are on, right. the, on the boards? Right. What, what sort of reaction did you, did you get anything by way of reaction from anyone? Was there applause? Was there head nodding? Anything that gave you any indication that you had at least made some headway with the room? Uh, yes. So, so the few people that were there, um, like I said, four of us were there to speak, um, you know, against Mr. Steiner's actions. And I'd say each of us, you know, applauded the other, which was nice. And someone reached out to me and, you know, said, thank you for taking care of our students. And as I was leaving the building, someone kind of came over and said something similar. And I'm not sure if they were teachers or parents. Mm. Um, I didn't, I was emotional at that point, very emotional, um, leaving the building because it, it's tough. It's it to them. It's just, you know, some random event that happened maybe. And they're just like pushing it under the rug. But for, for parents of LGBTQ kids and the students, it's real. It's, it's, it's impacting their lives, our lives. And it's has to be taken seriously. I agree a thousand percent. Well, listen, any parent who would allow another adult to speak ill of their kid in a specific or even in a general capacity, you know how, well, we're, we're, we live in the South. We know how bowed up people can get. I'm going to go over there and we'll have something to say about, it. you know, right. And, and for, for, for them not to expect 
uh, parents of the LGBTQ plus to also be just as mama bear or papa bear about their kids uh, is mm-hmm. it's delusional not to expect that. Right. Right. I'm a mama bear all the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest again. I, I was kind of circling the date on the calendar uh, and talked about this on the show a lot leading up to that date. And I didn't know what to expect. So I was scouring the interwebs. I would type Rob Recksteiner in and see if there'd be new news in the Google search. And finally, the 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 Shannon Ballou article at the Cherokee Tribune popped up, and mm-hmm. it, it was hard to find on the website too, honestly. Uh, but I was encouraged that again that someone reported on this, and that there was just more than one parent. I mean, there was mm-hmm. you know three or four of you guys speaking up, and it really warmed my heart. Again, this is. This is personal for me as much as it is for you because I I I was that gay kid who back right. in the 90s was afraid to come out, couldn't come out because you didn't know who had your back back then and you'd hear things from teachers and coaches even that made you pause and wonder I can't say exactly. anything to that person and and if to to have it on your school board to me is just disheartening. I can't imagine uh, my only hope is that these kids just don't pay attention to this stuff and don't know about it as much as we do. Uh, that's, that's true. Sometimes that is something I have found. Sometimes I'm more worked up about something <laughs> than my, than my kids are and they can't, sometimes they can let it kind of blow up their back, but not always. And when, when it's coming from everywhere, and like mm-hmm. you said, the bills that passed, I, I know at least four families of friends who are moving out of state uh. because the bill passed for not having gender, um, affirming care for their child and they had no choice. It's, um, Sorry, I'm getting I'm off on a tangent, but it's just uh, no, that's... not okay. Uh, can I give one plug for P Flag? Absolutely, we love P Flag. I worked with P Flag <laughs> last year with my softball league. I love Ann Vitale and the group at P Flag. Please do. Sure. So P Flag is a support group for LGBTQ people, parents, allies, and we have a chapter in Cherokee County as P Flag Woodstock. Uh, we formed a couple of years ago, and I'm one of the facilitators for the support group. And um, I'm not sure the exact meeting times, uh, but if you like Google PFLAG Woodstock or look on Facebook, you'll find us. And we're out there now and trying to support the whole LGBT community in Cherokee County. And um, it's an awesome place to be. No, you're you're right. P- you. P flag is a wonderful organization. I, I I'm I'm thinking you guys work in tandem with P flag Atlanta. Uh, in, we in do all the like, chapters work yeah. together, and then we work regional, and then statewide, and then southeast. Yeah, it's it's all connected. Were you down yeah. here for the Pride Parade last October? Yes, absolutely. Oh, well, then I, I, we we probably bumped into each other. We were setting there, uh, setting up at the the same spot at the parade route with the uh, Hotlanta Softball League. So we may have. Okay. We may have crossed Probably. paths or bumped elbows or something like that. You guys had a fantastic and large and uh, vocal and smiling contingent. It's very heartwarming <laughs> what you guys do. It's uh, uh, again as 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 a as a gay kid from the ninety from the eighties and nineties who's I didn't give my parents the opportunity to be P flag members because I didn't come okay. out until later right. in life. But still, it's not something I could have envisioned. Um, it mm-hmm. turned out that my parents were very supportive. I just didn't give them the opportunity. Didn't know. Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, and in P flag, I would say that the majority of the people that do come mm-hmm. um, are parents of trans kids who are maybe starting the journey and looking for answers and support, and living in Cherokee County in an area where, you know, it's it's not 
um, information's safe. in short supply. Yeah. You're right, short supply, and you don't feel safe to talk to just anybody. So that's that's what we're there for. I would love to have you on the show again at some point in time, because I think there's a larger discussion to be had about the gender affirming care conversation. And mm-hmm. I think personally, it's important sooner than later for trans youth to be able to receive, because the the more you wait, the harder the transition is. There are physical Absolutely. characteristics that take, fo- take form sooner yep. than you would like or not at all. And are irreversible. There's just so much I think that can be said about that. But oh, absolutely! I could talk about that for an hour. So yeah, but yeah. we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll we'll keep it in focus. I want to thank you again, Heidi Miracle, uh, a parent in Cherokee County who has a graduated Cherokee County uh, child uh, who is trans and another LGBTQ plus uh, child in the school system right now. And you're you're just to me you're you're one of the little heroes that showed up last Thursday to say Rob Rexiner needs to not be on that school board. Thank you uh-huh. so much for doing that. Thank you, and thank you for having me, and thank you for doing your show and uh, focusing on this topic. appreciate it. Hi, this is Ron, host of The Ron Show, weekdays 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio. So it's official. President Joe Biden is running for re-election, but he actually wasn't the first Democrat to announce. That would be Marianne Williamson, who we have on the show. That's right. New York Times bestselling author, former candidate in 2020, and now 2024 Democratic primary candidate, Marianne Williamson, is in Atlanta and stops by to join the Ron Show. Hear that 5 to 6 p.m. Wednesday on the America One Radio app and at AmericaOneRadio.com and The Ron Show. Welcome back. Final segment of The Ron Show for Tuesday. So a lot of noise last week about the DeKalb County coroner findings that saw no evidence, and I'm going to focus on the word saw, no evidence of gunpowder residue on Manuel Paez Tehran's hands or body. So that report came out last week from the DeKalb County coroner's office. The GBI has decided to go ahead and release some findings of their own that says particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue were actually found on Manuel Turan, a.k.a. Tortuguita's hands. It says particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue specifically. By the way, this report was filed by the Forensic Sciences Division at the GBI on January 23rd, 2023. Why this is just now coming out is beyond me. Kind of stunning, actually that the DeKalb County Coroner report came out before, last week, that led a lot of folks, myself included, to conclude someone's hiding something, someone's not telling the truth. The dots aren't connecting when it comes to gunpowder residue on the hands or body of Tortuguita when he is accused of firing the first shot. It led people to assume that there's a cover-up. This is the sort of stuff that, again, I go back to saying, who is, why is there, there seems to be a more organized effort to fumble this situation from the city of Atlanta, the mayor's office, Georgia Bureau of Investigation even. It's, it, the fumbling of this is just mind-boggling. The PR screwing is surreal. So the report reads, conclusions, examination of item three revealed the presence of particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue, GSR. This supports the possibility that the individual discharged a firearm, was in close proximity to a firearm upon discharge, or came into contact with an item whose surface bears GSR. It should be noted that it is possible for victims of gunshot wounds, both self-inflicted and non-self-inflicted, to have GSR present on their hands. Now, the AJC 
spoke to forensic experts that affirmed these findings. Jay Jarvis, who uh, the AJC reports worked as a forensic scientist for the Georgia State Crime Lab for more than 30 years, said that the GBI reports confirmed for him that Tehran fired at the troopers. Being inside the tent, this is an important point, being inside the tent, Jarvis added, would have kept gunshot residue from getting on Tehran's hands from the patrolman firing. He said, and I quote, I would be 100% convinced that he is the one who fired the shot. The physical evidence is very conclusive in that regard. The AJC also cites Chris Robinson, who directed the Atlanta Police Department Crime Lab, who worked as a firearms examiner for the GBI, pointed to how the GBI report says more than five particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue were found on samples taken from Tehran's hands. He said, more than five only leaves you one thing. He fired the gun just moments before he died. He fired that shot. He hit that state trooper. There are those who are going to say, Ron, you were all over the media last week for not reporting the initial report that DeKalb County's coroner's office released. Yes. Yes, absolutely. They should have reported that story. And and some did. And I think in particular, the AJC dragged a little bit on how they characterized this story. They kind of buried the story. But at the same time, this again goes back to the fumbling of the narrative by the city of Atlanta, by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or the Georgia State Patrol even, I guess, in in some regards, since they were part of a multi-jurisdictional effort. Why was this report sat on? The GBI filed this, their forensic division filed this report five days after the shooting on January 23rd of 2020. Why is this just now coming out? We let three months of speculation take root. And then let a DeKalb County Coroner's Office report come out that sort of insinuated that they couldn't find any gunpowder residue, so maybe he didn't fire the first shot. And then this comes out days later that insists that he did. Okay, great. I can accept this. This is what I wanted to know. Maybe back on January 23rd would have been a good time. Could have cooled heads. It could have cooled the dissent. I'm not saying that Folks would have packed up shop and said, okay, build Cop City. But what I am saying is we have let a family grieve for what they believed was a wrongful death when they could have months ago been told, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. Your, your, your son fired the first shot. Here are the forensics findings. For the life of me, I don't get how this is so poorly handled, how the narrative has been so botched by the folks who are proponents of this new Atlanta police and fire training facility. And why did the GBI sit on this report? I don't get it. It makes no sense. And by the way, I want to point something out. I don't think, I'm pretty sure I've yet to say on this show that I am pro or con the building of this training facility. I think I've just asked some pretty tough questions about how this has been handled. (sighs) Monkeys fumbling the football. But I've also questioned the necessity, I've questioned the ecological impact, I've questioned why here, why that specific location, are the citizens' input being weighed at all? Those are questions that I've asked. And this GBI report doesn't really change my mind about any of that. Am I sad that Tortuguita died? Absolutely. Unnecessary. And I'm grateful no officer who showed up from any of the jurisdictions that day suffered anything more than gunshot wound. I'm so grateful that no other lives were lost. But I'm also pleading with people in positions of authority to grab the reins of this narrative and write it because you haven't yet. Tomorrow, 
Presidential candidate Marianne Williamson joins the show. We'll see you then, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Catch any of the Ron Show's past or today's episodes at ronshowatl.com or on your preferred podcast platform.